In her introduction to the next story, Karen Arvala explains how she came to interview David Price, who runs a popular Madrid bookstore called Secret Kingdoms, which sounds a little like the famous Shakespeare and Company literary mecca that's in Paris. Madrid's literary quarter, known locally as Las Letras, is famous for the illustrious literary figures who roamed her narrow streets during the Golden Age, a time when arts and literature were flourishing in Spain. The literati, including Miguel de Cervantes, famous author of Don Quixote, lived and worked in these lively streets. Fast forward 500 years, the quaint bohemian feel of the literary quarter is alive and well, and with new residents carrying the literary torch. One of these residences, the Secret Kingdoms. Located in the heart of the quarter, Secret Kingdoms is the only 100% English language bookstore in Madrid. But this bookstore has more than just paperbacks and hardbacks up its sleeve. I'm here today with owner of Secret Kingdoms, David Price, to learn more about what this unique bookstore has to offer. David, thank you so much for meeting with me today. It's a pleasure to be with you. Thank you. It was fortunate that I happened to come here about a year ago. As you know, I came to see author and journalist Deirdre Mendoza for the reading of her book, Real Lives of Married People. And from there, a lot of great things happened, ultimately stemming from my experiences here at the bookstore. So to start us off, when did Secret Kingdoms first open its doors and how did you come up with the name? Sure. We, our opening day was the 22nd of June, 2022. Um, the reason that was our opening day was it was the one slot that the uh, British ambassador to Spain had in his diary to come and cut the ribbon, um, as it were, uh, which meant we were in a bit of a rush for the uh, last week or two to get everything ready, or more or less ready. Anyway, we had a very nice opening ceremony. Um, the name is pure serendipity. Um, we thought of a lot of different names. Um, originally, it was going to be called Books and Bags, which wouldn't have been a very good name. Um, Beatrice, my wife, was thinking about selling bags here at the time. We did briefly, but it didn't really carry on. Um, we then thought of a few other names before coming up with Small Kingdoms, um, which is not such a good name, but perhaps a slightly more modest one. Um, we tried to register that and found out there is a children's clothes shop in Spain, which also has already has um, dibs on that name. And it was only really at that last moment that a friend of my wife's, who was acting as our graphic designer, said, what about Secret Kingdoms? That would be a better name anyway. And the big light bulb went off in all our heads. And we thought, yes, Secret Kingdoms, the kingdom that you create when you're reading a book that no one else can see, the kingdom that the author creates when they're writing a book that no one else can see. What are the truly secret kingdoms? And it felt just right at that point. It was our Goldilocks moment, if you like. It's actually a very fitting name, especially just given the uniqueness of the bookstore, which we're going to talk about in a little while. And I looked up this name because I was wondering myself where it might have come from. Was it after a fairy tale? But this is actually, it's, it is a unique name and it's, it's, it's quite fitting. Um, so your online bio states that since you were 17, you've dreamt of opening a bookstore. Uh, which is a, a nice idea for, for a 17-year-old young man. Well, uh, a 17-year-old young bookworm. Yes, I've been, uh, I've been reading um, voraciously for as long as I can remember, really. And um, certainly in my teenage years, I, w- I was getting through two or three books a week, which was wonderful. I've never been happier than being in a bookshop. So um, when I came to 16, 17, starting to think about what to do with my life, um, I said to my dad, I'd like my own business and I'd really like a bookshop. Um, my dad went a little pale and um, he said, I will support you in anything you want to do, son, but, and, and you could ignore anything in front of the but, um, you know nothing about business and you know nothing about shops and I really recommend you get some experience of life first. 
33 years of life experience later, um, okay. we opened the bookshop. And so clearly you didn't let go of that, uh, that dream or that vision you had. No, absolutely. Um, so how, so it sounds like uh, it, you actually, you heeded your father's advice, you went out and got experience. Mm-hmm. So when it finally came to the time uh, of, of opening the bookshop, what, why did you make that leap and when did you make that, when did you decide to make that leap? It's an old story, I guess, and a fairly typical one. Um, following my dad's advice, I entered the corporate world, and I've, I've got a lot to thank the corporate world for. It was my then employers that brought me out to Spain um, in the summer of 1998, where I met Beatrice, my Spanish wife, um, that Christmas. and we, we married in autumn 2000, so it was all quite quick. Um, but the corporate world is as the corporate world does. Um, the years roll by, and once you're into your 50s, um, unless you're right at the top, um, holding on to the side of the greasy pole, can I put it that way, um, becomes a little harder. And um, the corporate world is inclined to say, that's enough. Here's a small bag of gold. Um, go away and do something else. And um, when it came for my, to, to my small bag of gold, I had to think very hard. I'd, I'd made a couple of changes within the corporate world before. But this time Beatrice said, think really, really hard. This is probably the last big employment change you're going to make. Um, make sure it's a good one, make sure it's something you really want to do, and why don't you go and cycle along the Camino de Santiago and, and have a really hard think while you so do. So in November 2021, I, I set out on my bicycle somewhat wobbling from um, the Cathedral Plaza in Leon. that's Leon with an E, not the French one, um, and headed off towards Santiago, and five days of beautiful Spanish autumn weather in November. I thought very, very hard. And um, came back and said, you know, we're always talking about the bookshop. Um, Yes, I think we really ought to go for it, but it's too scary and um, too financially um, rocky and I'm not sure it would all work. And Beatrice looked at me very, very hard, straight in the eye, and said, if not now, when? And uh, so now it was. And so that was November 21 and we opened in June 22. So it was fairly busy um, across the intervening six months. Well, it was, uh, I mean, certainly uh, a wonderful decision. I, I'm, I'm sure it goes without saying from your perspective, but from my perspective as well, because this Very is such a, a specially unique place. Um, and I, I love and appreciate that story because uh, being in a, a similar bucket, I can understand going through that thought process and making those kinds of decisions. Um, and also this day and age, it just seems like a lot more people are having this sort of deep reflections just based mm. on events in the last few years. So sure, uh, this absolutely. is all... Uh, um, all kind of falls in line with with uh, making healthy choices. Um, so you mentioned Beatrice, your wife, who um, obviously is is a, a partner uh, within this venture, but you Absolutely. also have a, a very uh, diverse literary team that helps support the shop. So how we, did you all connect? We, we have a lot of fun. Um, when we decided to do this, I needed to reconnect with the expatriate community in Madrid. The corporate life, unfortunately, gives relatively little free time, and uh, it was time to get involved with things again. Um, Among the various things I got involved with was the Madrid Writers Critique Group, um, which is a long-established writers group that meets once a week. It now meets in Secret Kingdoms. At the time, um, this was tail end of COVID, it was meeting in a quiet bar, which is no longer so quiet. And um, I met that gang who were very um, friendly, very encouraging about the idea of opening the bookshop. Several of them helped put the shelves up and organise the books and that sort of thing as we got preparations done. And through that gang, um, I met Guidry, who's been a key member of the team from the start. 
Um, she's a literary Lithuanian, if I can pronounce it that way, but she's been in Madrid for many years. Um, she runs something called the Right Salon, which is a literary um, group, and um, they do writers' workshops and all sorts of things. And she wrote to me, really, through the conversations that we were having in the... Um, in the, uh, in, the, in the writers' group, and uh, asked if she could form part of the team. And she's been a key player um, in the team ever since. Um, she's probably, she may curse me for saying this, probably slightly more highbrow um, than I am in our reading taste, which is vital as we get a broad range of the right books um, into the bookshop. Um, so that's Guidry. So it's myself, Beatrice and Guidry to start with, as we opened. Um, now, you do get in Spain, I suspect, everywhere, a constant flow of curriculums and, um, and job requests, be you a large business or a small one. Um, and sadly, we have to turn most, most, nearly all of them away. But by chance, just before the summer holidays um, last year, we got a, um, a note from a schoolgirl asking if she could have some work experience um, in the shop over the summer. We thought, well, that's a nice thing to support, and that won't cost us anything, we thought. Um, so we said, yes, of course you can. Um, I wrote to my hestor saying, we've well, got free work over, worker over the summer, giving her some experience, that'll be great. Um, to which my Hestor, uh, Hestor is the Spanish kind of accountant who looks after small businesses, mm-hmm. wrote back with a somewhat alarmed email saying, no, 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 free, free nothing. <laughs> You're going to need to pay at least the minimum wage. Interesting. Um, so there are there, so she couldn't have worked here as a volunteer then, is there? No, okay. No, no. Okay. Um, the Spanish, I think, are a lot tighter, more rigorous than the Americans about um, work experience. Okay. Um, if someone is genuinely doing work for you, and that's useful work, not just a kind of day or two's visit, Mm -hmm. then you genuinely need to pay them. Otherwise, you are um, exploiting them. And, um, you know, the the people shouldn't give of their labour for nothing. What is it? The the labourer is worthy of his hire? I think that comes from the Bible originally. Oh, I haven't heard that. But yeah, it sounds like that's uh, that holds that holds. And Angela has been extremely, extremely worthy of her hire. Um, It was only going to be a couple of months contract over the summer. Um, and she did brilliantly. Um, we found, I, I guess, young people have faster brains, perhaps, but she picked things up very fast indeed, um, proved herself to be an excellent worker. So when autumn came and it was back to school time, and she said, can I carry on for a bit? We said, we'd be absolutely delighted. And we now have her on a weekend um, contract indefinitely. That's fantastic. Um, so you have a very eclectic uh, and very strong team, it sounds like. We've been very, very lucky. Um, a lot of things in the bookshop have happened through good fortune rather than good planning. Um, a great deal of what's happened has been a, a nice surprise. <laughs> Hence the name Secret Kingdoms. <laughs> um, so you touched on books, which I wanted to, it's a perfect segue because I wanted to talk a little bit more about that. I know you have a broad selection, again, 100% uh, English language books, but you have fiction, nonfiction, um, everything from uh top sellers to rare and collectibles. Yes. yes, rare and collectibles is a nice way of putting pre-loved or second-hand, I suspect. <laughs> um, we have had some very interesting rare books come through our hands in the second-hand section. Um, we had a 19th century book, which was about 500 pages long, um, which covered just 18 months in the Emperor Charles V of Germany, first of Spain's life, after he abdicated. I think everybody in the world knows that he um, retired to a monastery in uh, Extremadura. Actually, I'm sure everyone in the world doesn't know that, but he retired to a monastery in Extremadura and um, began to wind up all the clocks um, to try and get them to tell the same time. Old-fashioned clockwork being what it is, I think the only person who truly got wound up was the emperor himself. Um, How could I seek to rule half the world when I can't even make the clocks in this monastery run on time was the line he came up with. So, yes, secondhand, we do have a few rare and collectibles, but we're not 
a rare and collectible bookshop. Um, most of the second-hand books are the bestsellers of a few years ago. And um, we do a standard deal of one orange label, as we call them, book for three euros, two for five euros, five for ten euros, across nearly all of our second-hand books. Specialisations in among new books, um, one that I was very clear that I wanted from the start was to specialise in Spain and English. So not just um, Spanish authors or Spain-set literature, but Spanish history from the start to the present day, and the experience of Spain, both from Spaniards and non-Spaniards, mm -hmm. and the key aspects of life and living in Spain, everything from Flamenco and Andalusia to the Pilgrim Trail across northern Spain that I've just talked about. I've seen the great Hemingway selection that you have here as well, of course. Oh, we do Stay. enjoy stocking the, the great authors who've written about and loved Spain, um, not just Hemingway with classics like For Whom the Bell Tolls and Fiesta, The Sun Also Rises and Death in the Afternoon, um, but also, of course, George Orwell and uh, The Homage to Catalonia and the other Orwell writings in Spain. Homage to Catalonia is the best known, but we've got his journalistic works and so on as well, and, and we do enjoy that. The classics are always important for us. Um, in fact, more important than we realised. We started out with a um, full set of six shelves on the classics um, and we found that they were more popular than we perhaps anticipated. And um, authors writing before 1950 now have 12 shelves. So we've doubled up on that quite recently and it's still doing, still doing very well for us. So aside from this very rich selection of books that you have, um, as I understand it, you also carry artwork from a well-known local digital artist. Ah, Juan Sixto. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, that's a nice friendship that predates the um, bookshop that's work, worked well in terms of um, decorating the bookshop and having his artwork available to a broader public. Our postcards are from Juan Sixto. Um, he has a wonderful talent for taking artwork from the classic period, and of course, out of copyright period as well, which helps, and combining it with his own modern photography. Um, so, for example, in the window, we have um, Las Meninas, the great Velázquez painting, but the Meninas aren't standing in an anonymous palace room. Um, they're standing, as God wills, um, right in front of the Secret Kingdom's bookshop. Mm. And, um, and it's a nice combination, and they look like they're far happier there than perhaps where they started out. He also did a beautiful painting, taking a Vermeer painting, with the light shining in through a window and um, what was a Dutch couple drinking a glass of wine. And he's now an Anglo-Spanish couple standing by a table full of books and reading them, which is obviously Beatrice and myself. He had us in the second-hand room with spotlights on us for about an hour, trying to get all the angles right so that we blend seamlessly into Vermeer's use of light in the painting. And if you come and join us in Secret Kingdoms and have a look behind the till, um, you'll be able to see that for yourselves. That's really interesting. It's another interesting experience that you could have here uh, at the bookstore. We've talked about books. We've talked about art. You touched on earlier the the fact that there's now writers that meet here every week. Yes. And I was actually fortunate enough to attend uh, one of those meetings during my the first trip I took here when I was here to see uh, Deirdre's book reading or to hear Deirdre's book reading. I learned at the time, at that time, that uh, every Tuesday the writers are meeting. So it sounds like that group is still going strong. Oh, very much so. Yes, absolutely. I mean, uh, as a venue, we've, <coughs> excuse me, as a venue, um, our secondhand um, room at the back also doubles up as a meeting room, an events room with a capacity of 27 people. And um, we're getting close to that number every week for the writers group now, which is something that wouldn't be practical in a noisy bar because you can't hear each other speak. Whereas in a room, a nice quiet room like the one we're in at the moment, um, you can get a nice atmosphere and a nice interchange going. 
and you're not trying to shout over music or over other people. And um, that's working very well for the writers group. We have a philosophy group that meets here on the last Friday of every month as well. We're now running no less than three book clubs, three different titles running at once, which again meet here on a rolling monthly to six week basis, um, as well as the irregular meetings and authors events that we uh, that we continue to host here. And these events are open to the public. So if there were visitors that were passing through Madrid, they could potentially stop by Secret Kingdoms and join one of these events. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. In fact, we encourage people to do that. We have the um, upcoming events, both regular and irregular um, up on the walls in here. We post them on social media from time to time. And quite often just in the chatting. I mean, the, ch- the chatting is a lovely part of running a bookshop. You get to meet people from all around the world as well as local people and um, discover a bit about their lives. And uh, if people are at a loose end and we've got an event running that evening, we'll often have people coming in on the spur of the moment and joining us. So um, aside from published authors, aspiring writers and other book lovers, what do the patrons to Secret Kingdoms look like? Do you see, are there a lot of locals that come through on a regular basis? Sure, get what's, our, what's, what's the shape of our client base? We, yes. we, we did a little bit of research on this before we opened up. Um, we had a look, for example, at how many native English speakers from what countries are registered as residents in the city and province of Madrid. Um, we found to our interest that, for example, there are slightly more Americans at about 10,000 <laughs> than there are Brits at about 9,500. Um, registered as living in Madrid. Then across the other um, Anglophone natives, if I can put it that way, Canada, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa to a degree, one or two other places, there was a further 6,000 or so. So that got us up to about 26, 27,000 people. Well, we thought that ought to be enough to um, support a bookshop. We looked up how many, what kind of populations necessary to support a bookshop, and around about the 20, 20 to 30,000 um, seemed to be about right at this point. So we thought, well, there's a starting point. Um, and then we thought, well, tourists are definitely going to be interested, but that'll be more a passing trade rather than one that we can build ongoing relationships with. Um, and we really didn't think about the Spaniards. Um, and we really didn't think about the people within Madrid who have English as their second language, particularly people from um, the rest of Western Europe, from Eastern Europe, and indeed around the world to a degree. And all these groups have become really important to us. Um, I'm delighted at how many Spanish customers we've got. Um, these are people who want to read the great works of literature or indeed the um, lowbrow works of literature um, in version original, as they call it, in their original language. And um, it's been great building up um, that group of people with a lot of regular customers um, from Spain now and particularly young adults. Um, I think it's been about 18 years now since the Spanish government really put a focus on um, teaching English in the colegios bilingües. Um, I, sh- I should mention that another important group of customers from us are the auxiliaries de conversación, who are mostly American, um, sometimes British young people, often just out of university, who decide to spend a year or two um, and are invited by the Spanish government to spend a year or two acting as native English-speaking classroom assistants in Spanish schools. There are thousands of them across Spain, and quite a large number of those are in Madrid, and they're great customers for us as well. But I'm rambling slightly. What I meant to say was the um, the Spanish are a fantastic customer group for us, and we're delighted to be able to serve them. That's it's a, And what a wonderful way to immerse in English within mm. your own home country, within your own city. Um, so there's just a lot of um, benefits, not just 
linguistic benefits, but also just a socialization, introduction to literature from around the world. Yes, it's really nice to have a mixture of um, native English speakers, Spanish Spanish people, and second language English speakers from the rest of the world in the book clubs, in the writers' group, um, yeah. and so on. Yeah. That's fantastic. So we were talking briefly earlier, and this is a loaded question, so sure. I know we could probably have an entire different hour on this, but I, I did want to touch on this because I think it's important. We were talking earlier how... Um, at one time, there it was very challenging for bookstores to keep their doors open. But you had a different perspective on this that I'd like to talk a little more about. Yes. Yes, the world moved fast from an analog world that I grew up in to a digital electronic world across the end of the 90s and well into the 2010s, 2010s. I'm not quite sure what we call them these days, but there we go. <laughs> and during that process, a massive amount of things went online the audiobooks took off, the books on screens took off. Um, fairly early on in the process, the massive bulkification of businesses like Amazon. Amazon really own it now, but there were a few others that tried at the time, whereby by buying 10,000 books direct from the public publisher, they can vastly undercut a small bookseller that's buying 10 or 20 books, perhaps from a wholesaler, perhaps from the publisher, depending on the publisher. Um, and it seemed that bookshops, small independent bookshops in particular, and even some of the large chains, were going to find it impossible to compete and that the bricks and mortar would go under. And many, 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 perhaps far too many, bricks and mortar bookshops did go under. And yet what we can offer in a bricks and mortar bookshop is something that no online store is really ever going to replicate, um, which is the community and the tactile nature of a bookshop. Um, you can't wander into Amazon's website and touch the books and flick through them and perhaps take one you want to have a look at and sit down in a comfy chair with a cup of tea and um, and, and feel the pages and, and understand what you're holding. Um, there is an ownership to owning a physical book that you're not going to get from an audible book or from a book on a screen. Um, that's the possibility of sharing, although people don't give them back, um, with a physical book that, again, you don't really get with a Kindle. Um, and there is the sheer pleasure of having a room in your house, or if your house is like mine, every room in your house, um, covered with bookshelves and covered with books where you can revisit old friends simply by wandering past them and thinking, oh, I haven't read you for a few years. Analog is coming back. We saw it perhaps start with vinyl um, records. I think it's coming back in a big way for books. I certainly noticed that our um, clientele is very much skewed towards the younger end rather than, as you might perhaps imagine, um, the older end. And I think there is a genuine future for bookshops. The terrain has been devastated by digitalization and by Amazon and all the rest of it. But I think there really is room for new growth now. You know, just everything you touch on, there really is something to be said about going into a bookshop. It's it's much more than than just books for all the reasons that you mm. mentioned. And I know that Secret Kingdoms uh, has a long and robust future ahead. I hope so. <laughs> I believe so, for sure. <laughs> thank you. Um, David, I wanted to thank you so much for having me here today. This has been a very enchanting discussion. It's and an wish you pleasure. all the best. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Karen Arvler talking to David Price there. This is the Travel Rider Show on J Air 88 FM in Melbourne.